Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. The future is overwhelming. There is so much to worry about. School, finding a job, paying off debt, saving for retirement. Don't you wish you could just take a mental break? But how can you when you're consistently bombarded with social media hashtags like live your best life and you only live once? It leaves you feeling like this life is all that there is. And don't get me started on FOMO. And if that isn't enough, you're inundated with news, books, YouTube videos, and even blockbuster movies proclaiming the end of the world is near. Will some rogue government leader start a nuclear war? Or will climate change take us out? How is it all going to end? Will it be a slow erosion or a quick death? Will there even be a world left for the next generation? I mean, is this it? Is there an afterlife? What are we supposed to believe? Well, thinking about the future is not a theological luxury. It's not something just for believers who seem to have a lot of time on their hands. To be a Christian means that the future is more important than the present, and certainly more important than the past. So as we talk about the end of the world, we're talking about something extremely practical. Now, we're not going to talk about everything we might uh, talk about when we talk about the end of the world, but there are some essentials that we'll cover over the next seven weeks. So we have rated this series G for general, all audiences, for the prophecy buff and the one who just seems to even think about it, okay? Now, you saw some uh, acronyms referred to in the... uh, in, in the introductory video. I want to come back to them. Uh, YOLO, you know this one? Uh, I know about this one because of my, my daughters. This, uh, this apparently has been made famous by the local superstar rapper, Drake. YOLO, you only live once, and we put a question mark behind it for this series because if it's true, it's one thing, and if it's not true, it's a whole other world, right? So what if this is true? And I don't know what Drake thinks about God in the afterlife, though one of his best songs recently was God's Plan. So I don't, I, we're not talking about his theological beliefs, but he has made this acronym famous. What if it's true? What if you only live once? What are you doing here? It's Saturday night. This idea has been around for a long time, and I remember it from my youth watching baseball games with my father. And on it, on baseball would come these beer commercials. The, the one that I was recalling as I was getting ready for tonight was the one that emphasized this idea. You only go around... Okay, so it was 71, sorry. Uh, you only go around once in life, so you've got to grab for all the gusto you can. And of course, because it's a beer commercial, they're talking about 
Schlitz beer. So because none of you have any clue what I'm talking about, let me show you one of the commercials that I think at least has a positive aspect to it. 1971. No matter how far you've gone, there's only one place that's still got all the best. Home. Hi, Mama. You had your first taste of gusto right here. Schlitz brewed it to be the best then, and they still do. Life's too short to settle for less. Go for the gusto, but don't go at all. Life's too short for settle for anything less. Now, there is a positive aspect, isn't it? I mean, going home and hugging your mother is certainly part of gusto. I'm not sure what the, the beer has to do with it, except, well, maybe hug and chug, I guess, is sort of the, the idea uh, here. Jonathan, I don't do that to your lack of jokes. Now, if you want to stay, can you just, just please be quiet with the rest of the people? FOMO, fear of missing out. Now, this is a legitimate anxiety if you believe that you only live once. Because what if you're not living your best life? With YOLO goes the philosophy of living your best life. Well, what if you're not? And what about the anxiety that you're not and other people are realizing that you are not? Uh, I, I see this anxiety expressed with our, our fascination with a bucket list, right? You familiar with this? The idea that you live a full life by making a list of things you want to do before you kick the bucket. And what you want is someone at your funeral to say, well played. Which is quite different than hearing Jesus say, well done. And I think, I think we see it all the time in social media. Because we have this pressure to be living our less lo- best life, at least we can try to fool others that we are. And so we, we tweet and Instagram uh, those moments of our day that seem to show that we are living with full gusto. We're not settling for less, so we we even take pictures sometimes of our food. I'm living my best life. Look at this. I'm eating a hamburger on a plate. Right? Okay, so in the spirit of multiple acronyms, I made up my own. This one's not going to be as famous, but... Not foo-foo, don't be thinking of the French word here. Fofo. Fear of finding out that it's all a joke. Fear of finding out that there is no best life. Fear of finding out that if you think this is all there is, that there really isn't much at all. In 1969, Peggy Lee recorded a song for Columbia Records, which which was a stunning success and a strange success, and it's had an afterlife. Uh, Strange success because the subject matter is so dark. Uh, Homer Simpson sang a bit of uh, the Peggy Lee song, Is That All There Is? 
on one of the episodes of The Simpsons. The song played over the opening and closing credits of one of the later episodes of Mad Men. So maybe some of you have heard it. The song recounts various experiences of life, including falling in love, and then the chorus goes like this. Is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, then let's keep dancing. Let's bring out the booze. I would recommend Schlitz. Let's bring out the booze and have a ball, if that's all there is. Well, welcome to our series on the end of life, right? Tonight, I want to introduce you to uh, three primary subjects, but first of all, introduce you to two terms that I'm going to use because they're the only terms that I know that do justice to the subject matter. So if you don't mind, may I teach these to you? Because I'll just be using them, and I'd like you to know what I mean by them. Okay, good. Eschaton, the Greek word for end or last. So it can represent the last person or the last things. So it's become associated with the last things of life. The study of the eschaton is eschatology. In, in the similar way that psychology is the study of the suke, the, the human mind or will, and zoology is the study of zoos. Uh, similarly, eschatology is the study, zoology isn't the study of, of, of zoos. <laughs> Pastor Jonathan, it's not the study of, of, of zoos. Eschatology is the study of the eschaton. So that's what we're looking at. Okay, so we have seven weeks, right? Now, there's a lot we're going to say in seven weeks, but we're not going to solve all the questions about eschatology because some things I think God didn't mean for us to solve. But we do want to deal with some critical things that we can all agree on. And so we'll start tonight, and we're looking at then a very important biblical idea, biblical eschatology, or a consideration of the nature of the end. Tonight, three things I want to talk about as we introduce this series. First of all, the shape of history. Secondly, the end in the beginning, and so the inspiration for our title tonight, spoiler alert, if you want to know how it ends, don't watch, if you don't want to know how it ends, don't watch the spoiler, right? Don't watch the preview. The end in the beginning, we'll be going back to Genesis here, obviously. And number three, the beginning of the end. I'm going to make the argument that the end is already upon us. Okay? So let's start with the shape of history. What is the shape of history? Is it a circle or is it a line? The idea that life is a circle is inspired by what we see in nature. As nature goes through cycles, perhaps that's all there is then to world history. A series of cycles. The second one is a biblical idea inspired by revelation. That the God who created the cycles reveals to us that there's something more. This is a biblical idea. Now we'll talk about this biblical idea of history having a beginning and an end uh, more in the video discussion groups and the community groups. But this is very much a biblical idea. So which is it? 
The idea that life is simply a, a, a circle uh, comes to us from looking at uh, the way cycles exist in, in nature. Sunrise, sunset, um, the moon waxes and wanes, months come and go, and was it last night, the full harvest moon? Um, seasons come and go for Torontonians, it's summer, winter, 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 <laughs> summer, cycles. So sometimes we even refer to our, our life as simply a life cycle. Is, is that all there is to it? This is an old, ancient idea. This, this underlies much Greek and Roman mythology. There's really no beginning or end to history. It's just an, an endless series of repetitions. Uh, you, you still find this idea underlying religions from India and Asia. So history is really not going anywhere. You might ascend to a higher life form, but history is not advancing. So this is an old idea, and it's still a current idea, and of course, uh, Disney, by reissuing The Lion King, has put that song, <laughs> right? That song back in our head. And it's a great song, The Circle of Life. So what if that's true for you and me, and not just nature? In other words, what if, what if your life is like a Ferris wheel? So you get on as a baby, they, they put you on, and you enjoy the excitement of going up and developing, and then you reach your potential, whatever it might be. Some wheels might be smaller than others. And then from there, it's all downhill. And when you get to the bottom, you're dead, and they lift you off the Ferris wheel car and bury you in the ground, and they put another baby on, and on it goes. You only live once, you only go around once in life. But what if what we see in nature is not all there is to life and that God has actually created history to move? And so this biblical idea that history actually has a beginning and an end and there's progress in between such that the end is more important than the beginning. This is a critical biblical idea, folks. It not only describes world history, but I would suggest to you it describes our life. There is a beginning, there is an end, and history is moving towards an end. Okay, well, what is that end? Let's move to our second topic. Let's consider that the end is previewed in the beginning. First of all, let's just make clear what we're talking about here, that biblically there is an end. Uh, you, you, you saw in the advertising video that we are inundated with um, fears and anxiety about the, the world ending in a flash of, of nuclear power, right? Or, or climate change is slowly doing us in. And of course, we often entertain ourselves by scenarios of the end of the world and those who would try to save us by going to the movie theater. You think of how many summers the world is saved uh, several times a day as your local theater replays a superhero helping us circumvent the end of the world. Did you see Avengers Endgame? 
where uh, the, the big bad guy, Thanos, wields the infinity gauntlet. Dr. Van, how do you know this? Well, I have daughters. I have a son-in-law. Wields the infinity gauntlet. And if it wasn't for the activity of the Avengers, well, we wouldn't even be here tonight. What a stark ending to that movie. Unlike the superhero movie, it's God who is holding the universe together, but he will, by his own choice, bring it to an end. It won't be a catastrophe that is out of God's control. By his design, he will bring it to an end. You say, Dr. Van, that's not a very positive thought. Well, yes, it is, because we have a preview of what the end will look like by looking in the beginning. Let's go back to Genesis. I want to consider a couple verses from Genesis and then we'll roll forward to the end of the Bible and take a look at Revelation. So what, is, what does the end look like? Well, it's very good, biblically speaking. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Go back, Francesco. I'm going to hold on to this for a minute. Now, please note, and again, I've said this before, uh, Genesis was never intended to be a science textbook, but it does tell us some important things about the origin of the earth. And here it is. That life that we live is not simply random, and it's not simply a matter of fate or destiny what happens, but that a personal God chose to bring the world into being. In other words, there is a creator with creative plans behind creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you know what happens in the next couple of verses, the different phases of creation are described and each time, and it was good. This was God's good creation, meant to be in harmony. Then God creates humankind, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so here you see, as the capstone of God's creative work, you and I are created, humankind is created is created. And similarly, with God's plan to make creation good, he planned for us to live in that goodness by creating us in the image of God so that we would, we would rule over God's creation. In a sense, we would be his representatives and live in harmony. Well, you know, that didn't last long. Okay, so before we, we move further and get into the book of Revelation, notice what we're saying here now. The biblical view of creation is that things just don't happen, but that there is a God behind it who is interested in it. He created it, and he will see it through. In other words, history and your life in it is not simply fate. You hear people talking about this all the time, don't you? Well, it was my fate or my destiny. 
Biblically speaking, that's not a helpful category. Well, the only time I believe in fate is when I am checking my luggage at an airport. <laughs> Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but sometimes I wonder if even God knows what's going to happen to my luggage when it disappears down that hole and goes into the bowels of the earth. I fly a lot lately, and I, I, I sometimes wave to my luggage, not knowing whether I'm going to see it again, and I don't know if anybody knows. I don't know anymore if it's going to come out. I certainly don't know when it's going to come out. And based on what goes on in the bowels of the earth, I don't always recognize my luggage when it does come out. So except for conveyor belts that hold my luggage, I don't believe in fate. There is a purpose, there is a line, and there is God behind it, and God created this world to be in harmony. Us with God, created in his image, see, built for relationship, right? Created in the image of God, built for relationship, built to relate to God in his image, and then our role to, to steward or superintend creation and of course, with what we're doing with the planet, we're not taking that one very seriously to this day. Of course, by the time you get a few chapters into Genesis, you find that human will has tried to thwart God's intention that the world would be good and evil enters into it. And with the entry of evil into the world, God's intention to create a good world is temporarily thwarted. And the biblical story that shows progression is towards this end, that what humankind destroyed, God would recreate. So if you want to know how it ends, you get an idea by looking at the beginning. Because what humankind tried to thwart, God will bring about. So now let's come to the very last book of the Bible and to one of the last chapters of the Bible and see how John has a revelation. Folks, you'd never come to this conclusion just by looking around. I, I, I will, we'll probably talk about this later in the series. In fact, we talk about it in the, in the community uh, video discussions. I'm not particularly um, uh, positive about the future of the globe. And when I look around, what people see as positive, I see is just the same old thing and the same old failure, just redressed up and repackaged. But John sees a vision for a future that is different. And even though it hasn't arrived yet, this revelation has now come to us, and we're going to take a look at one aspect of it from the very end of the book of Revelation, second to last chapter. John says, then I saw, look, a new heaven and a new earth. God, by his will, will bring this world as we know it to an end, and he will start again. John said, I saw it. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. The imagery here behind sea is a place of destruction, a place where human life can be lost, right? Skipping a verse. And I heard a loud voice from heaven, from the throne, saying, 
Look, John, take a look at this too. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. You see the disharmony that entered into creation in Genesis 3. Here's what the end will look like. God now comes back to dwell amongst his people again. The discord is gone. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And then this line of astonishing intimacy. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. This is what the end looks like. Or mourning. This is what the end looks like. Or crying. That's what the end looks like. Thank the Lord. Or pain. Thank the Lord. For the old order of things, one final area I want to talk about with you. So if that's the end, then, then how should we describe what it's like to get from the beginning to the end? And I want to share with you three different models, three different diagrams. And the third is the one that we're going to pay the most attention to now and later on in this series. The beginning of the end. I think it's fair to say that for the Israelite, the, the desired future, the oft prophesied day of the Lord in the Old Testament. Probably the average Israelite imagined that was a day within history, not the end of history, a day within history. And so this long for day of the Lord would, would be a day of both judgment and reward, judgment upon Israel's enemies, reward for the people of God who had been faithful. And so after the day of the Lord, Life on earth would take on a new direction, a new trajectory, which would be very positive. But it was still life on this earth even after the day of the Lord. In other words, what I'm saying to you is that for the average Israelite, when they heard the prophets, they imagined that the promises of God would be fulfilled within history because God had called them to be a nation on a sacred piece of land in history. Okay, diagram number two. Towards the end of the Old Testament, prophets began to get a new vision that the promises of God would not simply be fulfilled in history, but at the end of it and beyond. Not just in this life, but in the afterlife. Now again, there's more detail in the, in the video session in the community group. But I think you see bits of it in Isaiah, and I certainly think, you, certainly think you see it towards the end of Daniel. This idea that God's promises are not simply fulfilled on this earthly horizon, but in a horizon that goes beyond. 
And so you see the diagram here. In this, in this idea that's starting to emerge late in the Old Testament period, and I think it's part of the progressive revelation of God. And by the way, this continues, oh, by the way, this continues on into the intertestamental period. Now, this is what I did my study on at the University of Toronto. I looked at Jewish literature that was being written between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New. And it carried this model forward, see, inspired particularly by Daniel. That the future was going to be very different than the present because God was going to bring this world to an end. It was a Jewish idea. And so that the end would be starkly different. In other words, it would be perfection and the arrow is pointing straight up to God. So hope moves from something happening in history to something that happens at the end of it and beyond. Good? Good? Okay. Now, here's the quick Christian twist, okay? And this is a diagram you will see again. There you go. Can you see it? Pastor Jonathan, can you see it? Notice we're working off the template of the Jewish belief coming out of the Old Testament that the world's actually going to come to an end and the judgment day will be at the end, and then there will be heaven and hell and reward and punishment and justice. Finally, will we'll roll across the globe. But now, yeah, but, but here's the twist. When the promised Messiah finally came, the Jews thought would happen at the end, he came, it turned out, before the end of the end. Did you notice the title for this third, third section? We are already in the end because Christ has come. Eschatologically speaking, we're already in those days of fulfillment and promise because the promised Messiah has come. But he died was resurrected and ascended to the Father with a promise to return. And when he returns, he will bring the end to its full manifestation. In other words, we're, well, we're no longer in the beginning of the end, but we're somewhere in between the cross and the end of world history. And being Pentecostals and being readers in the New Testament, we tend to think we're much closer to the return of Christ for the first time than we are to his coming, the return of Christ the second time, than we are to his coming the first time. Yes? And so because of the cross, we are less concerned about the past than we are the future, because we're already living in the future. We will celebrate the cross of Christ and his work to help us deal with our past in a few moments. But notice this diagram. Two weeks from today, Pastor Jonathan will speak about what it's like to live with a disorder that comes from being stuck in a moment between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ because it is both the best of times and the worst of times. We are experiencing the future. In a sense, the future has come towards us because Christ is here. But yet his work amongst us is not completed. Pastor Jonathan will talk about what that's like, the experience of being stuck in a moment 
just before the end. Next week, Pastor Keith will speak about some of the systems we've used to try and describe what, what precedes the end. So that's next week. But today we're focusing in on this. And what if your life looks like this then? Not a cycle or a series of cycles. What if it's not just wash, rinse, and repeat? What if your life is moving towards a definite end, a positive one because God's behind it? The same God that created you will bring it to, bring your life to its full moment of realization, and it's a good thing. Then for you and me, the future is better than the past. Uh, just, just one word of application here, and then, I, then we're going to pray and we're going to come to the Lord's table. Communion services would be a good time to prepare to serve us, and thank you. One word of application I want to leave you with. Okay, so a lot of theory here. Uh, you okay? You following, tracking with me? Good? Good? Okay. So let's just think about this now as, as we come to the end of this. What, what, what does this all have to do with us? This series is intensely practical. And when I lead you in prayer in a moment, it's going to be a very short prayer, so I want to prepare you for it. I'm going to ask the Lord to constantly remind us that it's the future, not our past. For the Christian, because of the cross, our future is much more significant than our present and even our past. When you came to Jesus, remember, when you came to Jesus, you felt much of the baggage of the past drop away onto that conveyor belt and go into the bowels of the earth. Don't pick it up again. Do you remember what that was like? Don't wait at the baggage carousel. Look, I don't know what you're stuck in, what your moment is, and you don't know what mine is. But Christian hope is this, that the future is better than the past, and that's just not for the globe. That's for you and me, too. Thank the Lord. Shall we pray together? Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for how you dealt with our past on the cross. Help us this week to live like Christians who are moving forward and looking forward rather than chained to the past. May we always live towards your coming and the great days that are ahead. For your glory, O oh Lord Jesus, we pray. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.